Welcome to First Christian Church again, friends. It's good to have you here, both here in the West Auditorium and to those watching uh, right now in the East Auditorium. I'm very glad you're with us. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 28 today. If you'll uh, grab a Bible, uh, here in the, east, in the West, they're in the pew rack in the East. There's some people moving around with them right now, if you don't have a Bible with you. Maybe you've picked it up on, a, on your smartphone lately under version. That's always a helpful place, all right? Guests, my name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team, and we're going to spend some time uh, looking at Matthew 28. Um, to get ready for that, uh, I, 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 some of you may know this already, that I obviously was raised in Australia. That's pretty well known, but maybe it's not so much known that my great-grandfather on my mother's side uh, was a Methodist missionary to New Guinea at the turn of the 20th century. Um, my grandmother... Uh, spent her early childhood there. New Guinea is a nation that's just north of Australia. Uh, back then in the early 20th century, it was part of a territory that was owned by Australia. As a matter of fact, the New Guineans didn't really get their uh, independence until 1975. As a kid, um, whenever I, I was so far away and it seemed so scary, there were jungles and natives and people, you know, would, they'd eat you for dinner that sort of thing. Here's a photo of my grandmother as a child in New Guinea uh, with uh, some of her friends and the people who were around her. My grandfather is one of the white guys in the, down below. Can you tell that? <laughs> Dressed in white, pardon me. <laughs> and and um, the, uh, the, the, that's the house they lived in. And uh, I always, I never wanted to go there because when, when, when Australians, in, as a kid, when Australians would talk about New Guinea, I always had this vision of those campy movies, you know, where people are trekking through the jungle and their tom-toms are going and somebody's going to get eaten for dinner and they have to wear pith helmets and shorts and Bermuda socks and that sort of stuff. And there was always lions and tigers and bears and oh my, that sort of, it was like, I, I'm never going there. And I never have. Uh, not because I'm not interested anymore, but it's just life circumstances have not taken me there. But it's part of my family history uh, in Australia, in the, in the historical record. As a matter of fact, in the, as you walk into the World War I Museum in Canberra, in the Australian capital, it features my grandfather, the first room in the museum in Canberra about World War I, of the work he did in New Guinea and how he fought against the Germans and that sort of stuff. So you, you go... That came secondary to it. He went there as a missionary and ended up the war started and everything. And so it's, it's an interesting idea to have that as your family history. And it always begs the question to me that I think probably is a question that you should ask today. Why have Christians gone to places like that? I mean, from the earliest days of Christianity, from when Jesus first left this earth... Christians have gone to places around the world from Jerusalem. So, you know, we are, we are you know, Christians today here in North America because people came and said, we're going to evangelize, we're going to tell people about Jesus in this place. People have taken these long journeys, often throughout history, to never return home. To, wouldn't, wouldn't it be easier, here's the question, wouldn't it be easier to simply leave those other cultures and those other religions alone and let them all carry on? Why would you go and tell people about Jesus and expect them to convert? That's the sort of questions I want to answer with you today as we look at Matthew chapter 28. Um, we've worked our way through Matthew's biography of Jesus 
all the way through all 28 chapters for 30 weeks now. This is the 30th weekend that we focused on the book of Matthew. And uh, we started way back at the beginning of the year. And when we started, I asked you to take note of a few things as how this guy was named Jesus was sent as God in the flesh to introduce to humanity a whole new way of doing life, a whole new way of approaching God. And I said back then that Matthew is about Jesus. It's about the kingdom that he wants in us and his kingdom that he wants spread all around the world. And at the end of Jesus' ministry, right before he went to heaven, Jesus basically said to his disciples, I've taught you everything you need to know, and now it's your responsibility to carry on what I started. But you would go, well, okay, Wayne, that's fine. Why are we in Matthew 28 when we ended last week, Pastor Brian, when he was finished preaching, ended in Matthew chapter 20? What about chapters 21 through 27? Well, Matthew 21 through 27 covers the story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And uh, that's, you know, his trial, Palm Sunday, if you will, his trial, the execution, the resurrection. And we examined all those passages during Holy Week. So we basically pulled those out back in, in the spring and pulled those out and said, okay, let's look at Matthew's version of Holy Week. We stuck them back in and then we carried back on. We get to chapter 21 this week and say, okay, we've done all the way through 27. Here we are at 28. And so let's pick up the story then today at the end of chapter 28, all right? These are, this is the last weekend we're doing this Matthew series. So we read this. This is post-resurrection. Eleven disciples, you know why there are eleven, right? Not twelve. What happened to number twelve? Judas, right? The eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. He came to them and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Everything of the cosmos is now on my shoulders. And based on that, then I commission you, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So everything that I've told you, you're to tell them, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now that passage of scripture is known with, has been known throughout all of the church's history as the Great Commission. It is essentially Jesus' marching orders for his followers. The mission, it's the mission of all Christians since the conclusion of Jesus' personal ministry on earth. Christians are to go to all nations. They are to engage in ministry on Jesus' behalf. We are to lead others to follow him. It is an evangelistic call. It's a call to have people convert. It's not just a call to say, uh, tell Jesus this, tell people this story about Jesus. It's also a call to say, we are going to ask you to consider conversion. It's a goal. If you want to ask, what's my job description? Give me my first item in my job description as a follower of Jesus Christ. The very first thing that you're called to do as a follower of Jesus Christ is to say, I am going to see that I'm going to follow out this business of the Great Commission, that the story of Jesus is going to be known to the ends of the earth. It's a declarative statement of what Jesus expects of his, of his followers. It's not like, well, if you feel like doing this. He says, since I have all authority, then I'm giving it to you, and this is what you are to do. He expected Christians to go to all nations in his authority to convert and baptize people. And then once that's done, then those people, they, they too have the responsibility to tell others of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, how is that going? I mean, well, I'll tell you, friends, it's actually going extremely, extremely well. 
The story of Jesus Christ and the rate of conversion is increasing dramatically across the earth. You may feel like here in the U.S., okay, the idea of being a Christian is becoming less and less popular. That is not the case around the rest of the world at all. As a matter of fact, we're going to show you a graph here that talks about how the number of Christians there, there are today versus the, back when Jesus was alive. Like 100 A.D., okay? In those days, if you were a Christian, 360 people of the world population were not Christians. For every Christian that was alive, there were 360 who were not. But you can see how that number of non-Christians, non-believers is declining to the point where you get in 1980. That's a dramatic change from 360 to in 1980, almost 30 years ago now, 11 people were non-Christians. But do you want to know where we stand right now? It's phenomenal the results we've had. As, the, as we've used the internet and more and more communication methods, in 2015, we're down to 31% now of the world's population consider themselves Christian. So basically, it's a three to one, or you could say for every Christian that there is, that's a follower of Jesus Christ today, two people are not followers of Jesus Christ. Now that's still a huge population, I get that. But we have gained so much ground we are making so much progress over the last 2,000 years. So when Jesus says, you go, that command, that commission is still in front of us, and we are seeing tremendous results in that. I want to show you and explain to you one place where it's really working in just the last few weeks in a very unique way. Many of you know my friend Jim Gilbert. We've had him here and preach, had him preach and, and minister here on a number of occasions. Just last Sunday, he turned, returned from Iraq. He was there as part of a North American delegation uh, to go and help the Kurds write a new constitution. Now, the Kurds are the people who live in the northern part of Iraq. This month, they have a referendum that the Iraqis are going to give them their own nation status. In other words, the Kurds are going to be a nation by themselves. And one of, that's a Muslim nation, but one of the things they've done... They have such respect for the Christians, the Kurds do, that they asked a bunch of Christians from North America to come and help them write their constitution to provide religious freedom. So when, when I knew Jim was going, I knew that was the, the challenge in front of him and a few other people. And so uh, last week, we asked him to give us an interview. And so I, we recorded it on Skype. I want you to watch and learn what happened with what one of our people, if you will, been here many times, what's going on and how God is using this business that we're going to go into, into other places where they don't know Jesus and let people know about how to manage life. Watch the, watch the screens. So, uh, Jim, just last weekend, Sunday, you, were, you came back from Iraq, arriving back here in the U.S. Why did you go to Iraq? Well, I, you know, I, I've written on, on uh, Islam with Dr. Terry Law. We wrote a book called Unmasking ISIS. Uh, and he has a lot of... Uh, Terry has a lot of trust, and so do I, with the Kurdish region of, of uh, Iraq. Right, they're from the north, right? But yeah, they're, they're the northernmost province. They're Iraqi border. Right. What's happened is that is that over the last couple of years, Iran has taken over almost all of Iraq. The Kurds now have decided to hold a referendum on independence. It'll happen September 25th, and it's pretty likely to pass overwhelmingly. And they asked us to come and meet with Christian leaders. There are about 200,000 uh, Christians to, from from Kurdistan and from the Nineveh Plains, they want to know what would those people like to see in a new constitution if Kurdistan becomes its own nation. So you went there to give them advice on what that might look like? 
Well, t specifically, the Kurds are very serious. Nobody else in the Middle East like this. They are very serious about protecting the rights of Christians and other religious minorities. So just being asked, when has it ever happened that any Muslim country or, or Muslim region asked a group of Christians to come in and advise them on a new constitution? That's just historic. That's quite remarkable. Was there, were there moments when you're going, okay, I don't know how this is going to work out. This feels like we could be you know, in trouble, so, so to speak? I, I was confident we could do it. I got to actually write the document um, that they would would uh, copy from to insert into their Kurdish language constitution, which I'm really thrilled about. Uh, in terms of unexpected drama, we were going to go to a city called Karakosh, which is about 15 miles before you get to Mosul. Um, and the, the Kurds, the Kurdish Peshmerga troops, were the ones that drove ISIS out of Mosul. Um, so we were going to go into the Nineveh Plains, which are technically still under Iraqi governance. They're not part of Kurdistan even though they've been protected by Kurdistan. So we were going to go to this city that used to be primarily Christians until ISIS came along. We got to the checkpoint and got basically got ambushed by a group of extremists. And they hate these troops that were guarding us. And so our six-vehicle convoy got surrounded by somewhere 100 to 120 militiamen. And they, they were, for about 45 minutes, they stood around us firing their guns into the air and screaming obscenities at the soldiers guarding us. They didn't really care as much about those of us in the vehicles. The problem was, if 100 guys start shooting guns, you know, we're all toast. So I was sitting with, in the back seat of this SUV, this Land Cruiser, with a, a pastor from Western Canada. And all we did was pray for 45 minutes, Lord, keep them calm. Just keep them calm. And for some reason, I mean, there were maybe 100 to 150 shots fired into the air. I'm sure those bullets came down somewhere, but uh, not on us. And and they finally let us go. Coming back now, what's your observations on here you are, Christians from the U.S. and Canada going and having an impact really upon a Muslim nation? Have you had enough time to kind of get your arms around uh, the whole scene yet? In 1,400 years of Islam, no Islamic nation has ever asked specifically a group of Christians to come and advise them on anything. Uh, and here we have not only that historic thing happening, but we have this remarkable opportunity to help a new nation be born, knowing that they would be a safe haven would obviously put them in good standing with the United States, but it would be a huge statement to the rest of the world. Jim, thanks for going on our behalf, and we'll hear from you again, I'm sure. I look forward to seeing you guys again. Take care, Jim. Bye-bye. So what you saw there is um, somebody we know been on this stage many times, many of you have chatted with, with Jim, saying, we're going to go to Iraq and into the Kurdish area, and we're going to be used by God to help these people figure out how to do life in the future. And in the prospect, in the, in, in, in the, in the result of that is, we're going to be able to protect the rights of minorities, which is a very, very Christian idea. It's, it's taking the story of Jesus Christ into places that would otherwise be hostile. And you say, that's great. That's wonderful news. I'm really got, glad that God let Jim go do that. I'm just really glad that he didn't ask me to do that, right? I mean, making disciples and all that is fine. Going to other people, that's fine. I'm glad it doesn't apply to me. Well, before you entertain that thought too quickly, remember that, or go back, maybe you can do it this way. Look in your Bible again, all right? Look, and I, we've been talking about how that we... We'd done the Easter story 
from Matthew during the Easter season. Look at the end of chap, like verse 11 of chapter 28. This is still Easter, and you get all the way to verse 15. That's still Easter stories, okay? And then verse 16, where the Great Commission starts in Matthew, it immediately goes from Easter to Matthew, pardon me, from Easter to the Great Commission. But you're aware that there are some, perhaps there are some other things that took place. Matthew, for some reason, just jumps to the chase. But what else took place in the time between Easter and when Jesus went into heaven? The other gospel writers tell us what happened. As a matter of fact, Luke, when he's recording what happened, he gives us lots of details about what happened between the resurrection and when Jesus went to heaven. Matthew is kind of not really, doesn't seem to be too interested in it. But Luke, for example, in writing the opening chapter of Acts, tells us that the Great Commission is not just about, okay, go to the ends of the earth. He gives us the details of what the ends of the earth look like. In Acts chapter 1, he has Jesus saying this, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Hmm. There's the ends of the earth business. That's the go to all the peoples of the earth. But there's also this discussion about, um, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Now, remember, Jesus sent his followers at that point in Acts are in Jerusalem. And um, that's their front yard. That's kind of where they're living. That's where they are. And then Judea was kind of like where they're like everyone else is like them. They all speak the same language, Jerusalem being the capital of Judea. And then so you got Jerusalem, Judea, and then you got Samaria. Well, Samaria is a little bit out of the country. Uh, Actually, it's not even in the country. Samaria is, um, well, Jesus walked through Samaria. But for the most part, it's when um, there there are people who are like Jewish people, but they have a little bit difference in their language, a little bit difference in their culture, in their religion. And so you've got Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, front yard all the way out. So how does that apply to us? You could say you're looking at, okay, Jerusalem, wouldn't that be Decatur for us? And then you got Judea, well, Judea could be the rest of Illinois, because they're all like us. And then you got Samaria, they're kind of like us, but they're different. We'll call that Indiana, because they get to be in a government that works. How's that, all right? Whereas they so they have no idea what it's like to live in Illinois, but they speak sign of the same language, and so forth and so on. So you've got Jerusalem, Judea, then you've got the ones that have a government that works this, in, in Samaria, and then you've got the ends of the earth, because I'm being a bit, trying to be funny, but nonetheless. We go from Decatur, our front yard, Judea, the rest of, of Illinois, Indiana, to the Kurds of Iraq. How do we do that? Can one person do all that? Well, let me give you some responses to this. What, how do we respond to Jesus' great commission, or frankly, to our great commission? It's our responsibility. Well, we have to start at home. In other words, the people around you, your Jerusalem, the people that you see in your front yard walking by, You have to start there. Did you know that some of them don't know the story of Jesus Christ? Now, if they know the story of Jesus Christ and choose to reject it, that's one thing. If they choose to say, okay, at my death, I'm not interested in the saving grace of, of Jesus Christ, and they choose to say, I'm headed to hell, that's their choice. I don't like it, but that's them. But what about the ones who walk past your front yard and don't know about Jesus? Whose responsibility is that? 
It's one reason why we say, okay, we want to be certain that we're engaged in ministries in the community because I'm quite aware of this. In some ways, it might be easier for you to go to, with Jim Gilbert to the Kurds of Iraq and talk to them about Jesus than it is to talk to your neighbor, right? It's, it's like, okay, you got the danger of Iraq, but then you can leave and come home and be quiet. Whereas with your neighbor, it's like an ongoing conversation. That's why we do have these all sorts of ministries like the Arts Academy and Club 305 and the Chaplaincy and other things like uh, Good Samaritan Inn and other, other places where, or Crossroad at, um, at, um, at, at the health clinic. What's it called? Crossing. Crossing, yeah. Those sorts of things. And it's another reason why we are intentional in giving you an e- sort of an easy way to ease into this with, with the neighbors in the front yard. There are 15 churches that we got together back in January and said, how could we as congregations be engaged in reaching our community, telling people about Jesus who don't know about him? And so we did this series. It starts next week in 15 churches across the community. It's called Tell Me More. And hey, guys, I'm, this is really hard stuff. This is hard to say, okay, how am I going to talk to my friends about Jesus? I, I don't have the language. I don't know where to start. I, I'd come off sounding like I'm so indecisive, and we go, I get that. So here's what the idea is. Put this in your front yard. Put it in your front yard, and when they ask, tell me more, you go, well, uh, will you come to church with me? We'll take, you know, the pre- those of us preaching, we'll take on some of the responsibility because here's the thought. There are 15 churches, and it's really cool. Some Christian churches, some Baptist churches, uh, some Church of God churches, some Na- a Nazarene church, Presbyterian, United Methodist, Missouri, Synod, Lutheran. Lutheran they're all, we're all engaged in this together. And the thought was, well, if we, we have the people from First Christian Church put a sign in their yard, and there's a Methodist couple living down the street, and then there's a, 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 you know, a bachelor down there who goes to a Baptist church and so forth, at least you get the conversation started in your neighborhood. So as you leave today, a little bit of pressure from the preacher today. Well, a lot of pressure from the preacher today. Put, these are at the door. I made certain we had plenty of them. We, we, we were, had almost run out last week, so we, we got another bunch in, and so... Put them in, an idea by the way, let your kids carry the sign, you carry this metal stick. I saw, saw the other, some other ways around uh, after the last service and I thought we're going to have danger out in the parking lot. So you carry this, the, the, metal, the metal portion of it and let the kid carry the sign. But nonetheless, the point being, let's see what we can do. We'll, we'll do our best next week and then the weeks thereafter to help your friends and your neighbors learn a little bit more about Jesus. Jerusalem, Judea. But then you're going, what about Samaria? The place that's kind of like us, but not like us? Well, can I suggest that be Houston right now? I mean, because after all, if there's anybody that's like us, but not that's not like us, it's the Texans, right? And yet you know that they've had all kinds of struggle uh, down in Houston because of Hurricane Harvey. And I know that as followers of Jesus Christ, we want to respond to that. And when you go, how can I best respond? Well, Pastor Darren Embry, who was our associate pastor for 11 years, left Decatur, Illinois in 2011. You know this story, some of you. And he moved of all places from Decatur, Illinois to Decatur, Texas. His next assignment is going to be Decatur, Georgia. No, I don't know. But, but he's in Decatur, Texas. And I talked to Darren on Tuesday and on Wednesday. But on Tuesday, I said, Darren, what are you guys doing about the situation in Houston? He said, well, 
We've got people on the ground in Rockport who left yesterday, as, on Mon- as in Monday. He said they're down there, and I, I eventually talked to, the, to them on the phone. The city is obliterated. If you heard Direct Line on Wednesday night, we, we did an interview with one of the guys. And um, there's nothing left. Rockport is where the, the hurricane came, on, came, uh, came ashore. And he said, then on Tuesday, I was talking to him on Tuesday, he said, on today, just this morning, we had a whole convoy of pickups and people who had boats from our church. They've headed down to Houston to help out. And I said, so could we help in that endeavor? And he said, absolutely you can. He said, I, I stuck a bunch of cash in their hands and said, put gas in the boats, put gas in the vehicles. When you see a family that's in need, make sure they got diapers and wipes and food and water. And he said, I don't know how much it's going to cost, Wayne, but we're going to make it happen. I said, well, you know what? We'll, we'll come alongside you. We'll, we'll back you up because it's great to have somebody doing the work that we know personally is doing it and can be held accountable properly for what the funds are, how the funds are being used. So today, after the service, at the exit of all the auditoriums, and all the exits, there's going to be some people with baskets. If you'd like to do something for Houston, we're going to give 100% of that money to Darren's church, and they're going to be responsible for navigating how it's used in the days ahead. They are there close. They can manage it. And so you can give, you can give um, in the baskets. You can write a check to First Christian Church. Just put Houston on it. Or you can go online this afternoon. We've got the website set up so you can give to, to the Houston situation or down in southern Texas. And, uh, or you can even use your phone and worship here today. And here's something really cool. Upstairs in the kids' area today, it's one thing to send money, right? Which is really cool. But the kids, we, we made up these cards. And the kids are writing cards to send to the people of Texas. And so while you are here today um, engaged in some financial ways, the kids are upstairs expressing your prayers for the people of Texas in handwritten notes. So that's really neat. All right, so you got Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. We're calling Houston Samaria these days. And then what about the ends of the earth? How do we respond to that? Would I, could I ask you to consider praying about the ends of the earth. As a church, we have an interest around the world. We have a permanent commitment from our perspective to Cuba and Kenya, but we also have some ministries that are tied specifically to individuals like the woods in Tanzania and the Uremas in Central Asia. And uh, should you go? Should you go to one of those places? Oh, oh, and a reasonable question is, well, Pastor, if, if we send a bunch of people there, how, if, if, we, if we have a bunch of our people, we have a lot of people in those countries already, uh, but if we have more people, how are we going to afford that? Can I say, I pray we'd have a problem with so many people wanting to go overseas that we'd have to figure out how to, the financial implications. Wouldn't that be a wonderful problem to have? Oh God, make that come into the life of our congregation. Think about the possibilities there. I also pray that young people would consider overseas ministries as a career goal. Maybe you're seven or eight years of age today. Maybe you're 11 or maybe you're 17 and you're trying to figure out what's college life going to be. Or you're in college and say, what happens after this four-year degree? Would you, could you consider? I'm going to have a long-term career that's going to call me to go to the ends of the earth. It's great to have people who minister in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but God's calling me to go to Cuba permanently. God's calling me to go to Kenya permanently or wherever. I pray that we'd have more people go overseas. I pray that our young people would consider long-term careers. 
I pray that those who are in mid-careers or have, have other careers established would consider short-term missions programs. We have lots of people going to Kenya and Cuba on a regular basis and um, joining with our mission partners. I, I would love for you to go because it, frankly, is Jesus. It's an imperative that we go. It's not like if you, you want to go. No. Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. To which some of you, I understand, were saying, that's just not me. I'm just not interested. The Great Commission isn't for me. I'm never going to sit in the back of an SUV in some desert in Iraq with guys shooting guns in the air. Probably you're not. But if you did, what a story to tell, right? What an adventure. Because I want to remind you, Matthew, I, I, it's no mistake in how he puts this. Do you notice what his very last words are? His very last words are, he says, that has Jesus saying, I want you to remember that I am with you. And I know it can sound scary. It sounds like, well, what if I go overseas and I get sick? Okay, you're going to be sick. What if I go overseas and die? You're going to see Jesus sooner than the rest of us. That's pretty cool. But think of the adventure in the meanwhile. Jesus says this, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've told you. And surely, this is what I love, surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Is there a 48-year-old here today who would say, I'm in the middle of my career and I just feel like there's something else? What could it be? Is there a 28-year-old who would say, I'm still working on my career, but I'd like to go on a short-term mission trip? Is there a 68-year-old who said, I never thought I would say this, but I'm up for it. I don't know. But Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. I pray that what we do as a, as a, as a community of faith called First Christian Church Yes, we want to impact each other's lives, but it is not about us, folks. It's not about what happens inside these four walls of this beautiful building we have. It's about the people out there who don't know Jesus Christ, and I'm up. I'm up for taking them on and saying, how can we tell you about Jesus? There's some really cool ministry initiatives coming to us in the next few months that I'm excited about. Cool stuff. We are going to be a congregation that continues to impact this community and this world in the name of Jesus Christ. Would you stand together, please, in both rooms? Let's pray about this right now, okay? Father, I pray right now. From the depths of my soul, God, I pray that we would be an ever-increasingly outgoing congregation. We've got this series that starts next week. Lord, tell me more. And for some of us, Lord, it's a big adventure. It's a big challenge to put a sign in the yard. Give us courage and then courage to at least respond to a neighbor's question, what's that about? And then, Lord, we want to get beyond that to Judea and the places in our community and our state that need help. We're going to step into the opportunities in Houston through, through Darren's church. Help us to be generous in that regard. And then, God, give us a heart for the people of the entire world. I do pray, God, that 
you'd speak to hearts today and that we would take on the adventure of following, following Jesus to the ends of the earth with a story that saves people from hell the story that enables us to be partners with you in tremendous ways. In the name of Jesus, we pray.